Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay, y'all. Crack open an ice-cold drink, folks, or maybe pour yourself some natty wine. We've got some hot takes for you today on CityCast Las Vegas. I'm joined by my co-host Vogue Robinson and our lead producer Sonia Cho Swanson, and we're going to get into the debate over HOV lanes, yeah, how we feel about locking up our phones at concerts, nah, and whether that train to L.A. is really coming here after all. Uh, let's not get our hopes up just yet. It's Friday, May 12th. I'm David Figler, and here's what Las Vegas is talking about. Vogue Robinson, Sonia Cho Swanson, welcome to the Friday News Roundup. Woo-woo. Yeehaw. <laughs> yeah, right? Oh, I See, this is the, the, the day of the week I look maybe most forward to because we get to just dish on our city, but also celebrate the things that triumph. And I'm guessing a lot of people in our community are celebrating that the HOV lanes may be going away. No. Vogue, tell me what's going on with those HOV lanes. Well, I mean, the carpool lanes had already, the hours had already decreased drastically. And I think it was just because they were being underutilized. And so from that original decrease now, pending an environmental impact study that'll take like 18 to 24 months, they might close. It really just depends on the different sections of the highway, you know, which neighborhoods are going to be impacted. But it feels like it's a thing that's definitely going to going to possibly occur. And I think people will be, lots of people will be excited. One of the things I noticed though, was that if they eliminate the HOV lanes, it means that a lot of the flyover ramps could be Mm. taken offline. And I don't know what taken offline means. (laughs) Like, does that mean they're just going to be like blown up? Does it mean they're going to be like blocked off? I'm not quite sure. And I'm like, I want all those things to at least still stay open because the flyover ones are kind of fun. I love an HOV lane, (laughs) y'all. I do feel a certain sense of giddiness when I get to use one and I get that special flyover lane. Yeah, it does feel very special. It's like you've done something right. I'm helping the environment. I'm making traffic congestion less because the person who I always drive with anyway is in my car. Right. Oh, do y'all think this is the right move for Vegas? Oh, I have mixed feelings. So I think Lieutenant Governor Stavros Anthony has been an adamant opponent of HOV lanes. And it seems like he might actually have a point. They're not always the safest. Hmm. I'd read somewhere, a University of Colorado study, that because people are trying to shift in and out of those HOV lanes more, it makes traffic incidents go up by something like 30 to 50 percent. Or collisions go up by something. It's, it's It's a pretty startling number. So... 
I can see that they're, they're, they're not all sunshine and puppies to have these HOV lanes. <laughs> there are questions as to the efficacy of reducing traffic and environmental impact as far as air quality goes with HOV lanes. I mean, the basic concept seems to make sense. Don't drive by yourself. If you are going to drive, drive with someone else. Take someone else who might have been driving on their own, like a carpool sort of situation, into one vehicle if you're going to use a vehicle at all. The whole thing is really, really interesting, the way that we approached it here. They they didn't do a great marketing job. One thing that is like a personal pet peeve uh, when driving is there are solid white lines and people are just zooming in and out mm-hmm. over those lines. Right. And that's dangerous. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, people aren't respecting the HOV lanes and they aren't respecting the convention of <laughs> legal passing lane, right? And and so when they cross over and in and out at especially high speeds, I think it's particularly dangerous. I, I think it's funny that, you know, Stavros Anthony, who almost singularly is defining his own relevancy by his hatred, uh, which is shared by many in the community of HOV lanes. Is this his legacy? Stavros, I hate HOV lanes, <laughs> Anthony. Right? That's his uh, new name. Didn't even yeah. think like, oh, but we might lose all this federal funding if we do it my way. Like, didn't even know that. It's just oh, mind boggling. No. It's just, you know, such this populist thing. Like, let's get rid of this thing that we all hate and not think about the consequences. The elitist HOV lane. Right. <laughs> It's just so <laughs> odd. I have the same questions that you do, Vogue, about the flyovers because I think they're really clever the way that you can get to Summerlin or the one that I use all the time, which is part of the Neon Gateway. So I don't know if they just block those off because now they can't utilize those or if they figure a way to repurpose it. But I just wish people would stop driving cars so much oh my and goodness. that we would have more public transit available that made sense to our community that people would embrace. And this car culture is killing us. And it's just going to get worse the more we build around I-15, like mm. stadiums or something. I think cars will always be a part of our culture. Like even when we build out transportation to be super healthy, like think about the European cities with with the best public transportation. There are still cars on their roads too. Cars will always be a part of our culture. So I think we have to approach the problem of air pollution and congested traffic and and traffic safety from a multifaceted approach, right? We have Mm -hmm. to think about can we improve HOV lanes or are there better alternatives to them on the roads. And do companies even have incentives these days for a carpool lane? Like, I feel like there used to be for a lot of different folks and like different companies I've worked for had that. But because of the shift of people being able to work from home, mm. how, how does that make the HOV lane less less of a necessity? But then when I think about people who work on the strip, I think if they have carpool, like, you know, they got the list and everybody signs up, then that group of folks, it makes the most sense definitely to be to have a carpool like group. If you you and five friends all work the same shift, why wouldn't you carpool to work if you work in the same areas? So I've been in companies where they'll be like, okay, who lives in what area? And you'll make the full list of like, pick up this person, pick up this person. Like it's a whole community. It's a slack thread. (laughs) Yes, it's a community, but but that's how you have to plan it out and time it right. And people have to be on time in order for a carpool to really work. But I think for the casinos where it's very rare that people who work in the casinos are going to be able to work from home for the majority of those jobs. Right. Those are the folks where, yeah, utilizing carpools and having a carpool system within the company makes the most sense. So maybe there could be incentives on the side of the company 
themselves to get people to like figure out some sort of carpool system internally. I was wondering, what if you guys think about, you know, like in Europe, there's the Autobahn where they go at just these oh. outrageous speeds. Take me We're a little spoiled in Las Vegas, as bad as our traffic is on our freeway system. We're not paying tolls. You know, we don't have that kind of nonsense going on. But should we go the other way, like figure out ways to drive even faster to, ah. to Autobahn <laughs> us up to to get F1 speeds on the oh, yeah. on the freeway? F1 on all the highways. Right? No. <laughs> Well, to your point, David, I think that the Autobahn works because there aren't a lot of on and off ramps on those super long stretches of highway in Europe that go at super high speed. So you have less dangerous intersections of people merging on at slower speeds. So right. I think I think that's a key point to think about there. I think we still conclude that Vegas roads, good and bad, are really a mess. <laughs> and so right. I, I think the HOVs try to help that. And I think there was so much resistance to it that I don't know if we gave it the either the fair chance or the biggest chance that we could have given it. There was just so much, you know, the H was standing for hate right away. Hater occupancy vehicle. <laughs> yeah. We're so resistant to these kind of things, but something needs to be done. Uh, there's just too many cars on our freeways. I think everyone knows that. So whether it's HOVs or something else, well, we'll see. But uh, I'm sure whatever comes up, we'll find plenty of people to bitch about it. Hey, it's David Figler, and one of my favorite food festivals is coming back to town. It's Vegas Unstripped over at the Palms Hotel on Saturday, May 18th. Over two dozen chefs from some of Las Vegas's most talked about restaurants creating original, unique menu items they've never made before. Chef creativity at its best. We're talking chefs from Partage, Esther's Kitchen, Milpa, EDO, and more, including this year's James Beard Award finalist Steve Kessler from Aroma. Tickets are $150 and are all-inclusive of food and drink, so you don't have to pay for anything once you're inside. No hidden up charges. I went last year, and it was so crowded in the best possible way. We got one remarkable dish after another, and while it was a little indulgent, here's the best part. The net proceeds go to local charities. So head on over to VegasUnstripped.com to get your tickets now. We'll see you there. All right. Speaking about bitching about things, that's my transition. More strip headliners are requiring you to lock up your phone. No pics. Sonia, is this a trend? What's happening? Yeah. So uh, I just read a great article by Johnny Katz over at the Review Journal, and he reported that Garth Brooks is the latest musician to require people to lock up their phones before his show. He's got a show coming up on May 18th at Caesars. This is actually a trend that's been happening for the last few years. Garth Brooks is requiring people to use a pouch called Yonder. That's Y-O-N-D-R without the of extra course. vowel there. Of Always. course. And the first musician to actually go with Yonder was back in 2019, Madonna at the Coliseum. Hmm. But that turned out to be a little bit of a shit show because what happened was her show pushed back from 8.30 p.m. to 10.30 p.m. Wow. And then on top of that, she was two hours late. So her 8.30 show did not start until 12.30. And people were stuck there without their phones for hours. Nope. So you can imagine how people, people felt about that. Have either of you ever used a Yonder pouch before? Have you seen one? 
No, I don't even know what they look like. I've never given up my phone in a show. So it's like this kind of like a thick cloth pouch, and it has this tab at the top that kind of clicks and locks. And then to unlock it, you know at the department store when you're buying something kind of fancy and you have to, like, get the magnetic yeah, lock? Take it out un- of the box. Yeah, so that they don't, like, you know, wee, wee, alarm at the door when you pull something, you know, take something out Excellent of the door. Excellent alarm imitation. Thank Good you. Yeah, yeah, that's the kind of device it is. It's like a similar kind of powerful magnet. But think about it. If your phone rings during the performance, everyone around you is super annoyed. You have to take the phone with you out of the performance, out of your seat, and go to the lobby to unlock it and to see what's going on. So... There's a lot of, obviously, like, annoyances with these pouches. They're also used in, like, schools and classrooms because, you know, kids can't get off their phones and, you know, can't focus during class. But, of course, I found on YouTube dozens of helpful YouTube videos about how to hack a yonder pouch. Yeah. You can you can crack one open in seconds with like a pen or a set of keys or you oh, can wow. like buy yeah, some powerful magnets. So any level of uh yeah, or a little blow around you have found Whatevs. is disturbing. Yeah. Oh yeah. A little little stick of dynamite. It's it's easy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Just two rocks whack. <laughs> but you know, I think the question is to what extent are these pouches useful or important during concerts? And to what extent are they actually really harming the experience? What do you think? Is it a good idea or a bad idea to have your phones locked up during a performance? I mean, once upon a time, cell phones didn't exist and people went to concerts and they were fine. Um, You know, like we weren't always as accessible as we are now. All right, Grandma. I'm just saying, like, there was a time frame where we weren't always as consistently accessible. So for me... I'm fine. Like, I I feel like the last time I went to a concert, I had my phone out. Like, I took video, but I really tried not to have it up the entire time because there are people, especially if it's standing room only, you're all up there holding your phones up. So at a certain point, you can't see the stage depending on where where you're at because there's not, like, equitable seating Mm -hmm. (laughs) and an equitable view. Mm -hmm. 55 people's hands up in the air in front of somebody obscures their view so are we here to get footage is that our job or are we here to enjoy the show like i love the footage that i got from from the masego concert and like i rewatched it the other day and was like it was so nice so i love having that moment memento of that moment but i think if performers are going to have people lock up their phones during a concert then the other side of it is then everybody who bought a ticket because your email is usually attached to that. I need y'all to email me footage from the night that I was at the show. Like, that's my <laughs> that's my trade-off. It's like, I'll, you can keep my phone because you can get better footage than me if you hire all the professionals. Send me the ah. photos, send me the goods, send me the behind the scenes, but I want it from the night that I was there. And then, yes, you can lock up my phone. I mean, I know there's like a, a yeah. safety, there's a safety element. And I think if you have children, it's a different ball game as well. But David, what do you think? Yeah, I think that's it. I think the the you know there should be some exemptions. I think if you're a medical doctor, uh, if you're a parent, if you're a criminal defense attorney, because we do get those calls, you should have easy access to your phone. Oh, mm. uh, but then you know, <laughs> pages and what pay about, phones. How about if we all get pages and pay phones? Yeah, as we say, return to the '90s. That's going to cause some uh, issues. Follow-up question, though, does your opinion change depending on what kind of show it is? Like if it's, you know, a musical act versus, say, a comedy show where comics are trying to, like, test out new material. Well, let's I want to answer your question with a question. 
Okay. <laughs> Why do you think that performers don't want their shows to be videotaped? Do you think it's for the audience experience or you think it's from the performer perspective? Or a mix I mean, up. both. Don't you mm-hmm. think? I think it's both. I think performers feel like their audience isn't really paying attention or connecting with them or enjoying the music. They're just trying to sort of capture something for later, maybe for social clout. And then also it like maybe kind of takes away from later performances. I don't know. What do you think, Vogue? For a comedy act, I think it depends. But I think I still would rather my audience be present and paying attention. Musical acts, same thing. Or like if I'm at a play, right? Like you're not supposed to pull your your phone out and record Hamilton while you're watching it. Like that's, <laughs> right. it messes up the lighting. And like even the lighting in the, of the space, like the suspension of disbelief also oh. moves itself away. So you're, you're messing up the entire... You're talking to the wrong person. <laughs> like I, I'm going to staunchly be like, not. Nah, and I've had my phone out, but... I think there's there's a way and a workaround. And I think we'd have to go back to the old school way of like maybe everybody trades their phone for a pager. If you get because you can't take the phone call in the middle of the show. I wish you would. So I could throw something at I would throw popcorn at you. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> like, if you take your phone out in the middle of the show. That's true. You're going to have to excuse yourself anyway. <sighs> you should excuse yourself anyway on some level. Yeah. I remember back when it was just no flash photography, you know, because you don't want to. Mm disturb the performers. You don't want to send the performers into epileptic fits right, uh, with all right. the flashes. For comedians, though, I I just want to make a point for comedians. I absolutely understand why you wouldn't want people filming your material, especially if it was stuff that you were working out. So it wasn't completed jokes yet because musicians don't do that. So I think from a very practical standpoint, comedians wouldn't want either their shitty work-in-progress performances to be out there in the world or their A material that they haven't really put on the talk show circuit yet right. out there either. And so that that would make sense. Whereas with musicians, I think it's a little less because for the most part, songs are kind of similar where they are performed. There might be a, a variation, but even that variation is the same. Like their music is already out on an album Mm. Yeah, yeah, they do try to recreate uh-huh. in a lot of ways the music that you already hear on the albums and on the on the radio. They would have to be also mandated to show up on time. <laughs> like <laughs> you can't be two three hours late to your concerts. Like if you want my phone, you have to also be on time. I'm just thinking about all my rules for this to make it make sense. Right. And definitely, you know, when I think about people yeah. people's horror stories of Lauren Hill concerts and the story you just told Sonia. Oh, I'm yeah. not going to be here. I need free beverages and food. I need a foot massage. There's a whole lot of things. <laughs> I need yeah, for yeah, these yeah. Concerts. There's got to be some mutual respect. I guess to me this all really speaks to this way that public and private space, spaces are really kind of colliding now with the proliferation of cell phones everywhere, right? Like all these spaces that used to be intimate and maybe not so available to the whole wide world are now becoming really public. And I think that's just kind of like the new reality. I think we're going to have to figure out ways to work around it. And I think stop gaps like Yonder are just that, stop gaps. And people are still going to find a way around their Yonder pouches. So I don't know. I'm imagining a world in which maybe we figure out a concert experience that fully integrates people's phones. I don't know. what, What would that look like? Well, a lot of musicians do encourage cell phone use in a certain way, like everyone turn on your flashlight or something like that, you know. um, That's cute. Right. And and so there are ways to do that. I remember there was a Ben Folds concert where he was doing stuff with with phones and video and stuff, and that was kind of fun. 
So you can be innovative. I also wonder, and 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 maybe this is kind of going quickly in a new direction, but because of the way we are now with our cell phones as extensions of ourselves, but also we want to capture something that is outrageous or newsworthy. And so like, what if we're at that concert and out of nowhere, Will Smith goes up on stage and slaps Garth Brook in the face while Trisha Yearwood <laughs> wow. just screams, right? <laughs> Everyone in the world would want video of that. And sure. yet they're like fumbling with their little pouches trying to <laughs> bust it open. So are we losing something by disallowing the citizen newsmakers to be mm. ever ready with their cell phones in place? I'd be fine. <laughs> you think it's a low low odds chance that Will Smith is going to show yes. up at anyone's concert to slap him in the face at this point? <laughs> I think as long as there are other forms and methods of surveillance and that's that's putting a lot of trust on on a venue but if there's other forms of surveillance that are present that probably have better and higher resolution then i would say you know we'll have access to all of that at some point but i don't think everybody needs to be there and present and recording every single moment at a concert slash any type of show that's being put any type of live show that's being put on guys i have the solution it's google glass Everyone has Google Glass, the little (laughs) glasses with the cameras in them. Do those still exist in the universe? They do. Thank you. It's Google Glass plus Plagers. It's the old school plus the new school. That's it. Solution. Done. I'm there for that. Perfect concert experience. Vegas, go to the forefront. You got this. All right. Last topic. And this is the one that just makes me like lose every sigh inside me and pour it out over the microphone. Are we getting that high speed train from LA to Las Vegas? Are we though? Well, here we go again. I, so I could remember back to the, I believe, the 1980s when this idea was being bounced around and as you know, bullet trains and high-speed trains and things like that were happening in, like, Asia and parts of Europe and stuff. It was like Vegas, too. And now it's been, what, 40-something years. Many, many efforts have tried and failed. And now, wait for it, a new billionaire wants to build something in Las Vegas, and it's called Brightline. And they've gone through a lot of hoops. There's a lot of publicity that they are putting out there in the world about how great they are, et cetera, et cetera. But it's not a done deal. And I think that's where a lot of skeptics go. So there is a very great overview of the history of High Speed Train in the Nevada Independent that just recently came out. It linked to a story in Forbes, which was also very interesting for people to take a look at. But the bottom line is that they have jumped through some of the hoops, gotten over some of the barriers that prior endeavors have not been able to. But there are still all sorts of things. So they're they're further ahead than previous attempts? It seems like they're further ahead. But again, when you have a billionaire behind a hype machine, it's really hard to tell. What they they have is the congressional delegation behind them, but so have prior efforts. They had Harry Reid. 
They've got agreements with unions. They've got assessments of how many jobs it would create, you know, but there are also a lot of hype that I think needs a, a little bit of scrutiny. They're saying it's 185 miles an hour. The other endeavor that they have up and running is only 125 miles an hour, and they haven't really explained what the difference there is to, to satisfaction of people who are looking for it like me. They don't have the federal approvals or the funding that seems to be necessary to pencil it out. They are in competition with California over some rail monies because uh, hmm. there's a proposed line between LA and San Francisco that's kind of in the mix as well. Uncertain, you know, but again, it, it really is one of these like dreams for, I think, a lot of Las Vegans and probably yeah. Los Angelitos to mm-hmm. be able to get to Vegas in a couple hours quickly and comfortably. And so I think a lot of people are rooting for it as they always do. But is it going to happen? I don't know. Do you think this time is going to be different from what you've read so far? I think since Brightline already has... Uh, you know, a private train that runs through Florida, apparently. Mm. Yeah, yeah. The 125 shorter distant, no desert mountain concern. But yeah, they have something up and running. Yeah, like that they've built something and that it's somewhat successful, you know, makes it more possible. I think with the increased amount of traffic back and forth between L.A. and Las Vegas, I think there's a very clear need and desire for this to, to come and then how horrifying the traffic has been. I think mm-hmm. also shows that it could be lucrative. So I think really, you know, if we're going to build a new stadium for baseball, <laughs> yeah, I wonder what else that money could be. <laughs> this is a little different. This is this is fifty five million dollars per mile. No, but to Vogue's point, like Vegas has grown and Vegas has changed. We've become a sports town. And when you look at that traffic on the I-15, man, we've got a lot of people coming to Vegas and people going from Vegas back to L.A. or Las mm-hmm. Vegas going to L.A. So I don't know. I think that this time, am I going to be too optimistic? Am I going to jinx it? Should I not say this? It feels different. Okay, knock on wood. It doesn't to me. I'm kind of tired of the billionaire saviors coming in and telling us what's good for us and how it's going to work and how it's a done deal when it's not. I think there are still environmental concerns. I think that there's land concerns and even the route itself. I mean, it's Vegas to Victorville. But now maybe it's extended to Rancho Cucamonga. They're looking at that. And then you still have to take public transit to get all the way to L.A. Oh, uh, I don't know if that works. Yeah. I, 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 I've, that. I've seen actual criticism, not in Vegas media, interestingly enough, but I have seen criticism of how this probably is going to fall victim to the same sort of hurdles from prior attempts especially as it deals with disrupting wildlife, mm-hmm. unforeseen issues that come up with the infrastructure in a place where it doesn't exist now, and the cost. And so while the Brightline folks are saying, yeah, this federal funding, it's not that big a deal. I mean, it's billions of dollars. And maybe they could raise that through private investors. You know, the billionaires seem to have friends with other billionaires. (laughs) But it's like, I just want to stop relying on billionaires to make things right. I understand the appeal of having a high-speed train. I would love to have a high-speed train. To your point about billionaires, look, if there are going to be billionaires in the world, because there are, at least they're putting their money towards something like a high-speed rail and not towards, I don't know, sending rockets into space. Yeah. I mean, this guy made his money out of BlackRock. So, okay, you know, God bless. God bless. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we can leave it at that. If it does happen, and again, 
I don't know what makes it happen. Maybe it it takes a billionaire to get that going, but it doesn't seem like it. It seems like it, it takes a community. It seems like it takes the federal government, the states, the environmentalists. They all have to come together and how unlikely that is. But if it does happen, do we take it? Are, are you going to buy a ticket vote, Sonia? I wouldn't be above it, I guess. It's hard to even imagine it actually happening. <laughs> so I haven't thought that long about what I write it. I mean, I'm sad that like, I, I love trains though. Like I love trains. I loved riding the Amtrak when I was a kid from like different parts of California. So going from like Riverside to LA or to like Fullerton and stuff like that. So I love being on a train. I love not driving. So yes, that, the prospect of not having to drive sounds great. But unless... We know that once the funding, if federal funding comes in, then this this that money get recouped, you know, is really that would be a major component, a thing that I would have to think about before I spent my money on this high speed train. Hmm. Hmm. I, I 100% would take it. So as you all know, I lived in Korea for several years and the high speed rail there is amazing. It's so nice. You sit in these like cushy little seats. You can just like pull out your laptop or your book and just like stare out the window, listen to your podcast, listen to CityCast and just enjoy yourself. They have little carts that come by with all these like little snacks and coffees and things. If the Bright Line West has a snack cart, then I am on board. <laughs> also, also a cocktail cart. That would be good. Oh, yes. A cocktail yeah. cart. Well, I've done I've done Pacific Northwest trains. They're lovely. I really enjoy traveling between cities by train. It's a wonderful experience. I, I guess my biggest beef is transparency always. I know over 35,000 people a day drive through the California-Nevada state line over by that I-15 Prim area. That's a lot of people. We see those backups coming in on Fridays and going out on Sundays, and they're horrific. Is it real that it's going to be 185 miles per hour? Is it real that it's not going to disrupt like the very important wildlife that's around there? Yeah. Is it real that it's going to come in at that particular cost and it's not going to be a half-worked project? I, I don't know, and I, I, I don't appreciate hype without analysis, dreaming without critical thought. But look, it's been done, right? In Asia, in Europe, it's been done. They figured out ways to make it work through the mountains. There are tunnels. There are, you know, underpasses and overpasses for wildlife. So, yes, to your point, David, if they can give us the data, if they can show us that they've, they've, they're making plans to work around that, then yeah. But it's not a physical impossibility. So ever the optimist, I say let's hold out hope. Uh, thumbs up, thumbs down, Vogue. Is it happening before the 2028 Olympics? No, probably not. All That's right. our target date. So like they say on another radio program, if that happens in 2028, we'll be back on CityCast Las Vegas to talk about it. <laughs> right. Vogue, Sonia, thanks so much for your input. This is what Las Vegas is talking about. And I love talking about it with the both of you. Thanks so much. Yes. Hey, thanks, David. Thanks, you guys. That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. Our producers this week were Sonia Cho Swanson, Layla Muhammad, and Lizzie Goldsmith. Our newsletter editor is Scott Dickensheets, and our hosts are Vogue Robinson and me, David Figler. Music is by OG Moose and All the Kimonos. 
We record this show on the traditional homelands of the Nuuvi, the Southern Paiute people. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend? Rate the show, leave us a review. If you're on a train, take out your headphones and blare it full blast. And also subscribe to our morning newsletter. It is indispensable. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Take care. I I like to drive in it sometimes when I'm not supposed to. And so once they changed the hours, I was like, you've taken away my uh, excitement. Your naughtiness, your your rule breaking, your law breaking, your rebellious nature, rebellious nature. We should cut that. I don't want Hope to get in trouble. I don't care. I was like, these are crimes I'm not committing anymore because the hours change. There's no statute of limitations on murder or HOV abuse. (laughs)